Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad. Sports like no other. Let's get it. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Drippin' Sports. I'm Matty Ice. That's Coach Brad. This is the new direction, the future of Drippin' Sports. Brad, happy to have you aboard, my friend, and I'm really looking forward to this new adventure we're going on. The ice man. Uh, I can't even begin to describe how excited I am about this. I really enjoyed the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to come on and you know redesign college football and how we thought it would look. And now here we are, just a few days from kickoff of college football season. Oh, and I literally cannot wait to get into it. Great, great segue because two weeks ago, if you didn't listen before, we did realign college football. We had a great time doing it, I think, but. Little did we know we were ahead of the curve, my man, because an article that I sent you the other day talked about the NCAA talking about or considering major college football splitting away from the NCAA. And when we were done with our new divisions, our new conferences, our new playoff, we asked the general question, what do we see this going forward as? What kind of uh, a paradigm is it going to be? How are they going to actually implement something like this? Turns out we weren't that far off. No, I don't think we were at all. I think ultimately it's going to, it's definitely going to be something very similar to both of our iterations of the NCAA. And what I'm most curious to see as it all shakes out is what happens to the non-revenue generating sports. What happens to the, the women's soccer team, the lacrosse teams, the wrestling teams as we move forward. And I hope they don't fall by the wayside because those are great sports as being a big fan and coached wrestling for years. I love wrestling and I happen to be a fan of a school being the University of Iowa that their program is one of the few revenue generating wrestling programs in the country. But beyond that, I mean, at a lot of schools, it's an expense. And what happens to programs like that down the road at the expense of football and basketball? Is it too naive to ask what happens to academics at this point? Because what are they going to do with that? Because right now they're not separate. They're not separate. I think the first step to making them separate was the NIL situation. I I don't think, unfortunately, that academics are at the forefront of most sports fans' minds. But they're not. But let's get back to why these institutions exist in the first place. And it's absolutely, like you said, it's academics. Where it goes from here, we'll see. But I think academics benefit too much from the money the sports brings in so how they decide to carry on with that marriage moving forward will be very fascinating and and do they manage to keep academics a priority throughout this money hungry i guess we could call it situation and that's i guess where i find myself the most curious because these universities existed and still exist for education and you're right the average sports fan of any of these colleges i guess Let's take actually, let's take the students out of it, because if you're a student at one of these universities, you care about both, I would think, because you're there first and foremost, because you were there for the academics. And then, of course, the sports were gravy, kind of like with me, but you do enjoy that aspect of it. But I think this fan you're speaking to is the sports fan who didn't go to one of these universities and is still a, a fan of it, which you see a lot of that in the South. And it's funny when you guys did your five for five on people you don't like in my mind in OLI or possibly even in my top five was fans who identify with the school that they did not even step foot on the campus of. And I realize that's naive of me to say that because there's a lot of people who love college sports, especially in areas where there isn't a pro sports presence. So that's not really fair. So that's why I said I wouldn't have put it on the list. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I'm 
I'm that guy. Uh, I could never get into Notre Dame. Uh, not even if I had a, a million dollars and walked in with a bag of cash, uh, they they just turned me away. But they would not turn you away. <laughs> they might. I, I don't know if money matters to them. I mean, okay, I shouldn't say that money matters to them, but they have a long, long list of people beating on the door with with tons of money. So they have their pick of the litter, and I don't know if they would choose me. But I I agree. There is a lot of that out there. But I think that these programs bank on that. They rely on 100%. the local populace to be fans. Uh, if they, now, granted, some of them are fortunate enough to have a great student following, especially you know in the SEC and some of the bigger Big Ten schools. And and there are niche sports at other schools that have a unique student following. But without the the general average everyday fan that lives down the street that grew up watching Alabama football or Iowa wrestling or Virginia Tech football or Duke basketball. I don't know if these programs would be in the position that they are today. Do you think this is actually going to happen? Or do you think this is a lot of conjecture? Because they're, they're, this is the NCAA responding, right? Because we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the NCAA has remained mostly quiet during this. And this is their way of saying, we're monitoring the situation. I don't know. It's hard to say. I feel like they're just kind of like we talked about they're waiting to see what's going to happen but it wouldn't surprise me if it, it it depends on the money situation for the ncaa does the can the ncaa afford to lose power football like do they need that revenue to do what they do for all the other sports and if the sec big 10 whoever if they all break off and start their own football league does the ncaa tell all those schools hey will you take all the other sports with you good riddance see you later uh, good luck forming your own bowling conference or whatever it might be. I think it, time will tell, but I don't think it'll be that long. I think within the next 10 years, if not sooner, we'll we'll have a pretty clear picture of where this thing is going. I will be interested to see how it works out because in my mind, if the NCAA is going to allow this, it's going to be sort of a revenue sharing type of a thing because you're absolutely right. And they can say it's about academics and sportsmanship and whatever they want. But at the end of it's the day, not. the the NCAA 100% benefits from the amount of money, the the bags of money that are just shifted between all of these major sports programs, and for them to just let it go so easily and say, yeah, you know, let's let's govern that outside of the NCAA without us taking any sort of a cut. There is absolutely no way. But I think if they're going to do this, it's going to have to include a cut of maybe NIL money type stuff. Like there's going to be a huge economic shift in the sport. And then of course there's the gambling aspect of it like how does that all get affected and it just there's so many elements and layers to this that i find fascinating but the part that tickled me the most was that we were two weeks ahead of this yeah absolutely man that's where you come you come right here man dripping sports to get to get it before anyone else even knows it's news that's what i'm um, saying man see when i said the future is now that means this we're two weeks ahead of it i mean we were ahead of fucking espn on this like just let just get us a job we can do whatever they're doing on college game day. We can do that. Oh, ha hell yeah, man. I'll put the freaking mascot, mascot head on. Uh, Lee Corso, move aside. But, you know, the NCAA is like any other governing body that exists. Uh, they're going to come out and pound their chest and pretend they care about uh, the rules and this and that. But at the end of the day, it's just about who lines their pockets. Sadly, I, I really believe that's the case. So before we get into previewing this coming up season, because no matter what we say here, you and I are huge football fans, we're huge college football fans. So 
we recognize these things. And that's one of the reasons why I created the show a long time ago. And I'm really happy you want to continue down that road is, hey, let's point out some of the big picture items. Let's talk about them, analyze them because they do matter. And the sports themselves are wonderful in a vacuum, but I think it's hard to ignore, becoming harder to ignore some of these other extracurricular, for lack of a better term, things that happen around sports. And I like that you're one of the guys who wants to say, hey, I'm seeing this, but it's not gonna affect me watching the product. And I think that that's okay. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we can recognize yep. things, people can have voices, but ultimately it's okay to separate the sport from some of these other avenues. And so, uh, but I wanted to ask you before we get into the season, uh, I want you to go over some resume stuff here with me because you're a coach, you were a coach, and I know you had, what, 16 years or something like that of wrestling, coached a little bit of football. And I want to ask you, at this point in time, right, all these high school kids, college kids, they're all at the end of these camps, these summer camps, they're gearing up for their season. How many times in your coaching career did you know that your team just didn't have it? Every time. A, a coach knows. They know. For sure, 100% as a coach, you know if your team is good or not good. There's those times where you're like, man, we got a chance. If we can stay healthy, if you know a couple things go our way, we got a group of kids that play pretty hard, but maybe they're lacking in talent. We could have a successful season, but I can tell you pretty much every time you know. We, I was fortunate enough to coach. Uh, I coached a lot of really bad football teams, I'll be honest with you, but we had a couple of years where we were really, really good and we knew it. And it's not hard to see once you've been around the game long enough, you know, when you have talent. And it took me a while to learn that as a coach, honestly, because I was never very talented as a player. I was always one of those people that I had to work pretty hard just to be adequate. I mean, I was a decent player, but I was not a star, but I had to work for every little bit of it because I wasn't blessed with a lot of natural ability. And so I really valued that in other players because that's all I knew. And so when I saw a kid working hard, like I correlated hard work to they must be talented. And it took me a few years to realize that that is not the case. Uh, they could work really, really hard, but it doesn't mean they're going to be talented. And you could have talented kids that don't work very hard, but they're still the most talented kids on the field. Mm -hmm. Now, where that sweet spot is, is where you can get those talented kids to work really hard. And then it's special. So is it easier at these lower levels where you don't have to interact with the media so you can be positive to the team? and But to a man as a coach, you kind of know, yeah, these kids are trying their hardest. I mean, I, I would think that there's probably a lot of pride in coaching a team that is trying really hard, but just doesn't have the talent. Like you can see how hard that they're working. And some of those are probably the more satisfying seasons, right? No, absolutely. If I had a choice... At, you know, if my my livelihood wasn't dependent upon winning games, yes, and I had a choice to choose a team that was supremely talented, but they were lazy and had attitude problems, or have a team of of young men and women who worked their tails off, would do anything you asked them to do, were very coachable, approachable, like sponges, and and really cared and cared about their teammates. I would choose that every single time even if you told me like hey like the best you're going to do is 500 if you're lucky uh this other team like you know you might win a state championship i would take give me the kids that they're going to work hard all day every day give me the coachable kids that want to be there that want to work hard every single time winning's fun but i'd rather be around people who are more interested in winning at life and i think those people that have that kind of lunch pail blue collar to be cliche mindset like 
put me around those people. That's where I want to be. If you had to estimate from your coaching background, how many coaches in the NCAA, let's call it the power five, how many coaches do you think can come into just about every season knowing that their team has it? Maybe 10. Now, I guess has its relative though. Do you mean has it for the school they're at? Like, hey, this is going to be the best school we've ever had, or excuse me, the best team we've ever had at Coastal Carolina. No, I mean, or is it? I mean, stacks up nationally. Like they, they can go into every probably, game knowing that they have it. I think there's probably ten to fifteen coaches that walk out week one being with the thought in their mind that we could be special. It's funny. I always said that about Nick Saban that Nick Saban can coach differently and fearlessly because he knows what he's got behind him with the history of winning, the history of recruiting. So in that national championship game where they subbed Tua in for Jalen Hurts, everybody thought that was crazy, but he knew what he had. Like he knew what he yeah. had on the bench. So he can make that call very fearlessly. And we're gonna go over the, the preseason rankings here, but I'm looking at the rankings and I'm thinking about how college football specifically has been I, I call this the playoff era. How many years have we had the playoff? Four or five now? Something like that? Six? Yeah, at maybe. least, yeah. Okay. And I think what we have seen is that it has been very top-heavy and very heavily represented by a lot of the same schools, and that's just why I think we're seeing all this realignment. But I, I'm looking at the, the schools that are on here, and I can't help but put myself in this mentality that there can't be that many schools that are walking into week one thinking, we have a shot because they just have to know that they can't compete. Like as, as many coaches want to come out here and give the rah-rah speeches, and I'm sure you've had to give them in your lifetime before, and the, the kids walk out of there and you're like, I was so full of shit, like we don't have it. There's definitely that, but you also have to keep in mind too, it's relative to the situation. So if you are playing in the Sun Belt, but you think you're one of the top four teams in the Sun Belt and that 90 or let's say 80% of your games are going to be against other teams. You might be a very good team in the Sun Belt that can compete possibly for a conference championship, but you're nowhere on the national scale. So it just depends, I guess, on what your goals are that you have for your program and where you think you are. Like I said, when we're talking nationally, there's probably 10, like I said, 10 to 15, I think, programs that walk out week one and think if everything goes our way, we have a chance to be relevant and be in the in the national conversation in a couple months but it's not very often that everything goes their way between injuries and just bad breaks in games things like that it doesn't take much for a season to go south even for a really talented football team but to your point yes i've stood in that locker room and given the most passionate let's go out there and get after them boys like speech you could imagine knowing very well that we were going to be down by 40 at halftime <laughs> sorry now let me <laughs> ask you the, let me it's the sad truth it, 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 but you know what it happens in locker rooms across america every friday night let me ask you of the 10 to 15 coaches that know that how many of them do you think are delusional 25 percent like, I'm trying to think every year when the U is back and they're never back, but they think they're going to be relevant. Like, I'm seeing them right. sitting in this preseason poll here, and I'm. I'm but that's very probably curious. more fans. That's probably is more it? the fans that think they're going to be relevant. The coach has to go up in front of the media and say that he thinks they're going to be relevant, that we're going to compete for national championships. But I, I don't think that it that it's it's that big of a percentage. Like I said, there are programs that are very talented, and if everything does go their way, they would be in that five six top five six seven team conversation come at the end of the year where we're talking about maybe they could sneak into the playoff 
I mean, think about how many times, this is so weird, but think about how many times I feel like in the last three or four years that like Oklahoma State always seems to be in the conversation just on the outside looking in for the college football playoff. And they're nowhere on anybody's radar nope. all year most of the time. Wisconsin used to be like that you know, too. And they, yeah, they probably start the season ranked be somewhere between 10 and 20. And they probably hang out there for a while, just slowly creep up spot by spot by spot. And so I don't know if I'd say that 25% of them are delusional. There's just so many factors that are outside of their control. And I think that's sort of the tipping point. And see, this is why you're on the show now, because I, from my ignorant standpoint of wanting to have a take of delusional coaches, don't know enough about coaching to be able to have this take. So I'm glad that you can explain this to me. But you said preseason rankings, and that's a beautiful segue because I'm staring at the preseason rankings. And I wanted to ask you a fundamental question first. Do you think preseason rankings should exist in, in the first place at all? From a fan's perspective, yes. I think it's entertaining. It gives you a starting point. That That's why I would say yes. That's about the only reason I would say yes, because I, do, I don't think they carry much weight realistically. It's hard to predict what a team is going to look like after it's lost players to graduation, after it's had incoming players via the transfer portal or incoming freshmen that are going to be in the lineup and make an impact, maybe new coaches, new coordinators. To, to try to quantify all that and tell me you know how good a team's going to be is highly unlikely. But from a fan's perspective, it gives us something to talk about. It's entertaining. We all crave football, so we have what a few weeks before the season starts to sit here and chew on these rankings. Coaches hate them. I, they, honestly, I think that coaches would prefer you underrank their team because they can use it as bulletin board material. Like I heard someone talking actually today on a podcast about how they think that uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, you know, maybe maybe he paid off someone in the AP to try to rank them lower, you know, lower. Like, hey, do do not rank us at all, please. Like, because I want to be able to walk out here for the next few weeks and tell these guys how nobody thinks they're any good. Everybody, you know, everybody says Texas is done, blah, blah, blah. I mean, co coaches hate preseason rankings because as much as you think that kids are rational, even at 18, 19, 20 years old, they're not. And you get a supremely talented team that sees, you know, hey, we're ranked number three in the country, man. We must be pretty special. And if you don't have the type of coach like a Nick Saban or someone like that that can reel that in in a hurry, it could be dangerous. See, I've always felt that the preseason rankings, especially now when we're moving to this playoff, is they have kind of, like, I agree with you, fans would love this. So I think the preseason rankings for fans, fans, I guess, fun only, I think works out. But sometimes I feel like it gives a leg up to some of these schools to be preseason number one, preseason number two. And then it makes it, in my view, very difficult for schools to jump unless a team loses. And so I've always wondered if perhaps we're doing this wrong in that these preseason rankings are making our objective judgment of a team much more difficult because we're giving teams a starting point. Like obviously there's going to be teams in this preseason ranking who are going to be left out at the end of the season. It's it's going to happen. You talked about injuries and other factors, but I think Alabama sometimes, are they one of the top four teams in the country? Probably every year, but I think they do benefit from being given that benefit of the doubt every single year. And they can sneak into the playoff, a two loss team without a conference championship last year because these preseason rankings they do matter in the sense that the rankings going forward are based off of what we start with instead of having some neutral starting point like they do with the playoff 
And I've always wanted that. I've always wanted them to say, okay, this is generally what we think are some of the best teams, but then basically everybody's kind of at a starting point and the committee, instead of just doing the playoff, can now give us something different in the middle of the season so that we know. I mean, yes, it's going to be hard for the fans to say, oh, I don't know if these these are good games, but like at this point, these schools are brands. So if anybody know, sees Notre Dame, like that's going to be a game that people are going to watch because they know Notre Dame is a brand, Alabama's a brand, Ohio State's a brand, stuff like that. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, and Notre Dame has absolutely been a, a benefactor of the preseason rankings before. I, I shouldn't say a benefactor because usually they get overrated at the beginning of the year and they prove to not have the talent to hold up to that ranking once the season you know gets underway. Uh, other times they have gotten ranked highly and played a not very strong schedule and just continue to win games and sneak by bad teams and it keeps them up there in the top 10 eight seven six somewhere in there you get a couple teams up there to lose and next thing you know they're knocking on the door of the playoff and they haven't beaten anybody that's exactly what you're talking about i yes. think those types of scenarios how to avoid that i'm not sure even if they held on to the rankings for a couple weeks i think you're still ultimately going to get the same thing because even if in this case like notre dame plays ohio state even if they waited until after week one and ohio state's beat, beats notre dame by two touchdowns i still don't know that you'd see notre dame outside the top 10. Well, that's but uh, and, you, and maybe there's I was going to say you at least have a sample, right? You at least have some results to look at to where you can objectively look at it here. It's just conjecture. Like you're just saying is what we think. And then that's where these teams yeah. start. Well, one thing we're probably not considering is how much who knows how much the TV oh, uh, companies, cable right. companies have invested in this. Are you going to tune in to watch uh, number 24 Notre Dame play? Maybe. Probably, I mean, you know, but, but I mean, ever, if but. You're, you're, no, I know. But if you're a casual <laughs> fan, you know, you, you're going to be, if you see two numbers, if you're looking, if you're just flipping through ESPN, like on your phone, like, Hey, what are this week's games? And you see two high numbers next to those teams. Hey, this is number seven against number 10. That's probably a good game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch it. Well, yeah, I know. That's what I was saying um, is like, they, they do make it for the casual fan to watch. And so I do understand why they right. exist, but I think sometimes just feel like they factor a little too much into the end product as these rankings go along is it, and Notre Dame's not the only one have you seen the rankings by chance yeah okay yeah, no absolutely and I got them pulled up right now for sure excellent so I, I want to go I don't really have too much beef I don't have too much beef with the rankings this year I mean there's a little a few discrepancies but I, I don't have too many qualms honestly it's not about qualms but I, I want to point out the teams that are kind of in here that I feel like are those teams you talked about that are always OLI they're always outside looking in like I see Texas A&M at six and I think to myself I know that they had a great recruiting class but Texas A&M historically even under Jimbo Fisher has not really been able to take that next step and they play in the SEC it's really tough man so I see them and I'm like, will they be up that high by the end of the season? Now, they, they went on a heater last year, if you remember, but couldn't get the job done. Yeah, and they they bought one of the best recruiting classes in the country this year. And and uh, it's I've, great that Saban was pissed off about that, wasn't it? Like, dude, this is the rules now. So, like, just get in the game. Don't be pissed at this. Yeah, so I don't know if you've stumbled across this. And and I'm, I kind of hesitate to even give this guy any any play at all oh, but, no. but he he's really talented at what he's doing oh, no. um but the gentleman that do you remember the gentleman in ohio state a few years ago they got released the wide receivers coach they got in some hot water yes with uh a domestic situation well he's he has a tiktok 
page, which I won't say the name of it, but he just talks about like the backside of college sports, like what 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 college football, what's really going on behind the scenes, this and that. And he was on Urban Meyer's staff, like even back in the Florida days. And he talks about he's like, we knew that Alabama was cheating. We knew that Nick Saban was cheating. Like we we had proof. He's like, we had proof that they gave Julio Jones an Escalade. He's like, but when you call the SEC office that happens to be in Birmingham, Alabama, he's like, when they answer the phone, it's hello, Alabama. I mean, uh, SEC office, <laughs> you know, I mean, he he's like, it's just nobody cares. Nobody cares. Everybody knows you have literal, literal proof it's happening and just nobody gives a shit. I agree. I mean. It, and that's why I'm, I'm happy that we switched to this new NIL thing and they will figure it out. But I mean, just call it duck a duck. I mean, we all know this has been happening. So I, just just let it be. I mean, no. it, they've turned the other cheek so many times. And, and coaches, this is my big issue is that coaches like Pete Carroll have been able to walk away from these kids who then take all the fall. Oh, 100%. That's one of the worst parts about it is that, and I'm happy that the transfer portal thing, that they clean that up a little bit in terms of, taking the chains off these kids a little bit and that's yes. a really terrible term to use but but pete carroll you know he goes there breaks a million rules but has a lot of success so he gets hired away to go to the nfl leaves just in time oh yeah for um them to vacate their national title or whatever reggie bush have to give up the heisman trophy and their program to be on probation for a few years i mean you could say that maybe he single-handedly the program he ran single-handedly set usc football back oh yeah five ten years but you they know, won and national what, championships. What, he gets to walk away scot-free. I know. Yeah. And, well, he, he walks away and wins the Super Bowl. So he, he gets to get even more yeah. glory by by getting that. And he's still employed there. But yeah, I mean, I, I just also thought, I, I just also find the, Nick Saban really cracks me up because I remember I saw an interview with him. Maybe it was this off season sometime. Who knows? Maybe it was like Super Bowl time or whatever. And they asked him about NIL and, and he started talking and he and he talked about some, he gave some pretty fair points. And I was like, all right. And then he's like, and it's really about fairness. And I was like, all right, so hold up, Nick, because what's fair is that you've been making 11 mil per and these kids are out there doing a lot for you and not getting anything for it, right? Like the school's making a ton of money. And then he's like, and we have to make sure that we keep the, the, uh, the academics at, at first hand and I was like get the fuck out of here with that Nick like just yeah, come such on bullshit. come on you know like yeah don't piss on me and tell me it's raining come on yeah like to, to, what I would rather you tell me is that most of my kids major in football like I, okay at least I know that so that kind of got me but that that whole beef was quite yeah. funny oh no I always used to use uh the example you know people get talking about oh these guys are there to get an education blah 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 and this is back when Devin Hester played for the Bears. And I'm like, hey, have you ever heard a Devin Hester interview? And they'd kind of look at me funny. I'm like, just look, you know, pay attention. Look one up. Listen to a Devin Hester interview. And you tell me what kind of education that dude got. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, in any of these guys, yeah, you're right. They major in football. They're there for football. And that's one thing. And I know people can throw shade at Notre Dame. And, it, and it's fair in a lot of cases. But one thing that they do that not a lot of other places do is they don't really bend their academic standards a whole bunch to accommodate athletics where other schools you just have to meet the the bare minimum ncaa requirement as opposed to whatever the the school's academic requirements are uh, notre dame is not that way and I, i've always had a lot of respect for that despite all the other things that are fair criticisms of that school that's one i think that they could be proud of and i know there's other schools out there that are like that I they mean, are bradley bradley university 
but you know, mid-major basketball program, uh, they're that way a little bit. You know, they got pretty stringent academic standards, and so when when they're able to put a good program together, it means a little more because it's like, hey, you, you not to use a Brian Kelly term from Notre Dame, but it's like, yeah, you kind of had to shop down a different aisle a little bit uh, than some of these other places. I totally forgot that he went to LSU until you just said that name. I totally forgot and then had a fake Southern accent. So Brian Kelly. Oh, that was miserable. That was, that was miserable. miserable. But I will say this. I think that Marcus Freeman is going to reel in a lot of Notre Dame haters. I think that you're going to see a lot of a lot more people become Marcus Freeman fans and you know, the result of that being a Notre Dame fan a little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I think what has always turned me off, and this is probably what turns off a lot of people to fan, it's fan bases, right? Like it's, it's the fan bases that oh, are yeah. out there representing these schools and representing their ideals, probably falsely. And uh, I mean, all, all of these fan bases go through that in some form or, or another, but let's take a look at this for a second. So the top five right now, if the, if, the season ended today this would be our top five alabama number one got majority of the votes ohio state georgia clemson and notre dame and not much parity there in the top four is there no not at all and and i i mean god i would be if the season ends and notre dame's number five i'd be happy as could be i think it's it's a lot of brand credit right now that's happening for them and i'm saying that as a fan because there's so many unknowns. There's mm-hmm. so many unknowns. They lost a lot of really good players, and they have a brand-new head coach and tons of new coaches. I don't know how you could look at that team and say, oh, they're definitely a top-five team. I don't know how you could do that, other than the fact that it's Notre Dame, um, and they were a top-five, six-team last year. Outside of that, I have no idea how you justify putting them at number five. But you're right. Not a lot of parity. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. You know, just even going further, you know, Michigan. Michigan's been, you know, maybe not so much in the last 10 years, but Michigan is a traditional powerhouse, Texas A&M there. But I'm telling you what, my dark horse right now is Utah. I was going to ask you gonna be Utah. really good. You think so? Yeah, Utah is going to be really good. Uh, I think that they can, they're going to win the Pac-12. And as long as they can, which I think that they play USC in Salt Lake City, but as long as they can get by USC, if they run the table, I think you'll see them in the playoff. Oh, if they run the I mean, table, Ryan Day. Yeah, Ryan Day at Ohio State last year. I mean, he said when they played Utah, he's like, "That's that's probably the best team we." And they were they were beat up. They were missing guys. And he's like, "That's probably the best team we played all year." And um, the the thing about it too is they're playing in a weak conference for the most part. But Utah always stumbles against like Stanford or something like that. It's one of those random ass 10 p.m. games here on the East Coast that we nobody ever watches, and then we wake up and they they lost some game like that. That's the one game that they lost. Yeah, Pac-12 yeah. after dark, man. I mean, and, uh, no, that's what it is. Yeah, they'll go to like lose at Arizona mm-hmm. or something. To, to, I get if it's a basketball game, man. But, yeah, <laughs> but come on. So I, I look at no, Michigan. And, well, sorry, I was gonna say I look at Michigan, and I feel like they're getting the bump from finally producing something with Jim Harbaugh last year. But that's about it. That's another program that this year they their recruiting class they they have not had a strong recruiting year. I mean, even Notre Dame. They signed C.J. Carr, who's Lloyd Carr's grandson, <laughs> nice. and he signed to go to Notre Dame. I mean, you can't even recruit mm-hmm. one of your most prestigious coaches' grandsons to place to play for you. You know, something must be going around. And Jim Harbaugh, I actually like Jim Harbaugh. He's very quirky, but I love the fact that he's just comfortable being himself, and he doesn't try to be anyone else other than Jim Harbaugh. And I really appreciate that. But that doesn't mean that the guy's not a complete weirdo. Oh, he is. 
but there's a lot of schools in this, you know, I would say top 20 or so that have had a lot of turnover, especially at head coach that are getting a huge rub in these preseason rankings. Like Oregon just lost Cristobal to Miami. What is that going to mean? Because Oregon has been, again, one of those teams that has been traditionally great, but not great enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that you you might see them hang up there a little bit this year just because of the roster. Uh, we'll see. You know, I always think you got to wait, whether it's a new coach, uh, whether it's a, a promotion as in a, a, a better coach coming in, like Cristobal going to Miami. I think you had to give him a couple years before mm-hmm. you can make an honest evaluation. You can't overreact if they're not very good this year. Same thing. Like, you can't overreact if Oregon is still solid and be like, well, this new head coach must have it figured. Eh, let's give him a couple years. Let's let's wait until he recruits his own guys in. Some of the crystal ball guys filter out. Then we'll see what this guy's about. I, I don't – And this, I, what I'm afraid of is that they're going to become, once USC and UCLA leave the Big Ten, that if Oregon can't cling on to someone somewhere else that – yeah, they might be the, a big fish in a small pond, but I'm afraid they might become a little irrelevant if they can't really... They're going to have to be a very strong program to stay in the national picture once those two schools leave. Yeah, and then you got Oklahoma who lost Lincoln Riley. So they're in the top 10. And again, they have been traditionally good, but that turnover... Miami gets a new coach. USC has a new coach, of course. And there's just a lot of that feel. But by the way, there's like four ACC teams in the top 25 right now. Like, get out. There's no way that that's going to hold up. Come on. So Oklahoma, Brett Venables, he was the Clemson defensive coordinator. That guy's turned down. He's probably turned down more head coaching jobs than anyone that's currently a head coach ever did on their way to becoming a head coach. He did. He's been one of the most sought-after assistants for the last five years at least. And... I think he's in the right place. He seems to have the right mindset to be there. It may take a couple of years, but we've seen it time and time again. Even in the NFL, Bill Belichick maybe being the exception, defensive-minded football is hard to get off the ground these days. It is at a high level. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to have a high-powered offense. Old-school defensive hard-nosed football just doesn't get the job done anymore like it used to and hopefully he's a i mean obviously the guy knows about offense because he knows how to defend every freaking offense there is but hopefully he's able to put a a good offensive staff together and we'll see what happens but and you mentioned you know the acc you know what what do we got clemson i think it's like four or five teams miami yeah i mean nc state wake forest wake forest like there's no way Right. I mean, Wake Forest, I mean, they had a good... Wouldn't their quarterback got hurt last year or something like that? Or maybe he got hurt this year, but... Smallest um, school in the Power Five? Yeah, they've been really above average. I think they're the smallest school in the Power Five, right? They're like 3,200 people. Something like that. Wake Forest is really Is it really? Yeah, it's really tiny. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, so... I just noticed this. mm -hmm. Looking through the coaches poll... Oh. So it shows, you know, Alabama got 54 votes. So, I know what you're going to uh, say. Ohio State got five and six. I guess so. Texas. Yep. I saw I was like, one. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, Some. there's no way that was Sark, though. I can't believe that. There's no way if you're unless you're just that guy that's like, you know what? I think we're the best team in the country, boys. I don't know how you do that. There's a guy in the Missouri Valley Conference that Bradley plays in the last, which he just got fired. I'm pretty sure Dan Muller, the guy that uh, head coach at Illinois State University. The last, I don't know how many years, he always picks them to win the league when they do the preseason picks. They could be, I mean, but just consistently, it'll always be like, oh, uh, you know, Northern Iowa or Drake or Loyola Chicago, you know, they're the top two or three programs. And then, oh, Illinois State received one vote. (laughs) It's always the coach. Well, it's funny because Texas is not in the AP top 25. 
but they're in the coaches pool at number 18. That's a huge discrepancy. So obviously well, a lot of coaches. That's what I was talking about earlier. There's people speculating that Sarkeesian <laughs> maybe tried to pay off the media to not put him in the rankings. That's yeah, that's that's crazy. I, so I, I, it's funny when I even when I was at Tech, I always used the AP poll because I always felt that that was the poll that held a little bit more water. And I, I think the coaches poll still exists today merely as a, I don't even know how to describe it, but I think the AP poll does go in or does factor into a little bit the playoff, right? Like the, the committee is looking at a lot of different things. Is there any quantitative data that goes into the playoff anymore? Like the BCS was almost purely quantitative in some fashion because they had that formula that, that went into it. I mean, the rankings, you know, and strength of schedule and all that stuff, but I don't know exactly what goes into the playoff. I'm not 100% sure either. I know I hear when it comes that time of year, the phrase, the eye test. It's, you know, the eye test, the eye test, do they pass the eye test? And apparently these people lock themselves in a room for a few weeks, you know, leading up to win the playoff, and they watch every freaking game, at least every game of maybe the top 10 teams. You know, not just the current games that are going on, but they, they watch every single game and they see if teams pass, you know, the quote-unquote eye test. I think the one thing I do like about it is they are willing to it's kind of a recency bias you know if you lost a game early in the year they're willing to say but hey you're playing like one of the best teams in the country right now and and that i do appreciate i do think they value that um like at the same time like last year i do believe that cincinnati deserved to be in the playoff but i do not believe that they're one of the best four teams in the country Right, and that's where then that's why I am a favor of an eight-team playoff. Now, granted, sure, maybe the ninth and tenth teams will be pissed off, but that's a big reason why I'm a fan of the eight-team playoff. Is I think you can get the majority of the best teams in the country in the playoff and still sort of reward some of those group of five schools that have great seasons. Plug them in there, let them have their shot at the big boys, and I think the fans would love it. Well, you give more teams a chance, right? So you're you're opening up the sample. I mean. Eight out of 25, let, let's say that let's say the top 25 are all the ones that are considered for the playoff. Eight out of 25 is a pretty darn good percentage. To me, that, that captures almost half of the top 25. So I feel like eight is a pretty good number. If you're nine and 10, I mean, at what point are they going to stop complaining? Because the 65th team gets pissed every March. So I, you're never going to please everybody. In that, case, in that case, though, with all the auto bids, yeah. the 65th team is usually better than probably a dozen teams that actually made the tournament. I know that, but I mean, that's the format you know that I mean? they have. I mean, I'm just saying. But, like, you're right, always gonna right, right. I do feel like that's a little more fair of a gripe. Now, sure, that team had their opportunity to do something about it, but I could see that being a more fair. But man, this really sucks that I'm we're sitting at home right now while while you know the Ivy League champion is you know getting beat by forty in the first round by Kansas. Yeah, and then Kansas will lose in the next round, so it'll be fine. <laughs> right. By the way, your boys Oklahoma State sitting pretty at number twelve, so you're gonna get your wish this year. Yeah, I'm telling you, don't around. sleep on the Cowboys, man. Don't sleep on the Cowboys. Is Mike Gundy still the coach? Well, speaking of Cowboys. Yes. Speaking of Cowboys. Okay. Notre Dame's kind of like the Cowboys, right? Of sort college of. College football. Yes. As far as the fan the fan base goes. Used to be really good, like in the early 90s. Not so relevant anymore. Uh, but all the fans, you know, they have a national fan base. And they all think they're awesome. It's funny. My, Very similar. My dislike of Notre Dame actually came from somebody who went there who didn't give a crap about sports. She just was like my parents went to Notre Dame and I get into Notre Dame too. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I just do not give a shit. So like, it was this weird right. aura of, I don't care. 
And she made everybody who didn't go to a school like Notre Dame feel as if the college they got into, which I went to Virginia Tech as an engineer. It's one of the best engineering schools in the country. So fuck you if you went to Notre Dame. I don't care. But you're right about that. And I think, again, some of these schools get unfairly judged because their fan bases suck. Boston gets that that moniker, too. And there's a lot of evidence to to support them feeling this way. I mean, people thinking that Boston sports fans suck. I'm not going to disagree with you because I generally don't like the sports fan in Boston anyway. So that's just it is what it is. Yeah, most people just yeah, they, most people dislike the Red Sox not because the team's not good. It's usually the fans. Same with mm-hmm. the Yankees. You know, we could go across the board. The Cowboys fit in that category. And lately, maybe the Patriots would would possibly fit in that category. We could talk about Philly fans, but they hate everyone <laughs> equally. Yeah, they hate Santa Claus, as we found out. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, is this another one of those years where the national champion is the SEC or the field with Alabama and Georgia being strong once again? I'm going to say the national championship game is going to be the SEC champion against Ohio State. All right. So I can't wait to not watch that again. I think that's what it's going to be. (sighs) No, and I hate Ohio State. I can't stand Ohio State. Notre Dame plays them in a week and a half and i hope they go there and i would love nothing more than seeing them win that game i just don't realistically realistically think it's possible i think it'll be a, a decent football game but no i mean ohio state's really really talented this year and the big 10 and not the sec and as long as they can you know not stumble along the or georgia one or the other and maybe i'm not giving clemson enough credit but well Clemson is coming I off. Plan on, I, I plan on. I'm going to be in South Bend when Notre Dame plays Clemson. You got to remember, Clemson is coming off of a year where they won 10 games, but DJ Uy Ungole didn't have a great year. They had a pretty decent, a pretty precipitous drop off from what they had been used to, the high standard that they had set with Trevor Lawrence. I hate Dabo Swinney, by the way. Right. I just can't stand the guy. No, I, I t- can't stand him. I don't mind him. Can't he seems him. like a guy that kids would love to play for. He seems like a guy that kids would love to play for. They could relate well to an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school. And that's probably a big part of why they're successful, despite the fact that he's, you know, brings in talented coordinators and he you know, knows how to motivate. But I think he's very polarizing, though. He reminds me of Kenny Chesney. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> uh, that's okay. what he seems like. He seems like Kenny Chesney. Like, he's just this all shucks kind of guy. The thing but, that really pissed me off about Dabo was when he came out and said, I will quit when the players start to get paid. Well, he's still on that fucking sideline. So that asshole just, I just, you know, it's like, come on, man, don't say shit like that. Like, that's just so dumb. They were already getting paid, like we talked about, It's just so, I know, but like, those statements are so stupid. Like, just, coaches need to stop. Yeah, I don't know why people come out and say that. I don't like it. So let me ask you another question. I'm looking here at the slate of games that looks like it's Saturday. I think they're calling this week zero. I don't think that college game day is is going somewhere that's actually one of my favorite things of the fall by the way college game day saturday like that is a there's two things that are a religious experience in this household because we're not really religious people there is college game day on saturday my wife even loves to watch college game day so we have to be home for that and nfl red zone on sundays like those are dude i've been like singing the praises of the red zone channel forever and people like oh no no man i just want to watch the best parts of all the games and that's what you get on the red zone channel i love it i love it listen inject it into my veins give me all the red zone network 
you can. It is the closest thing I will ever do, ever come to doing any intravenous drugs. I love it. It's like a cocaine shot every single time, every Thursday. When Scott Hansen says seven hours of commercial free football, I get a hard on. I mean, it's just what happens. It's just that. I do too. I just walk around with it all day long. Absolutely. And my wife loves it too. The thing, the thing about Red Zone is that Red Zone has taken out all of the stuff that I dislike about watching football on television. And it's funny, my brother-in-law was just here. He's uh he's doing a new show with us. We're doing some football talk. We love to talk football. He actually hates Red Zone. And he's like, you you miss it. all the parts that lead you up to where you are. And I'm like, what do you care about how many times they walk off a punt or a penalty or some shit? Like, I don't care about that. I just want to see, and, and, and I want to see what matters in the game because he's like, this last year, Broncos, Cowboys, Broncos were up 24, nothing. My brother-in-law goes, I can't, I wish the game was on TV because I wish I could get a flow for the game. I'm like, Mike, it's 24, nothing. What the fuck do you need to know? Like what, what else about the game do you need to know? No, I absolutely agree uh, about the red zone being fantastic. And a lot of times they will say, Hey, let's show you how they got down here. Yes. And you know, especially if there's no one else in the red zone, they'll go back and show you a big play that got them into the red zone or an interception or, or whatever. No, I, I think you see everything you need to see. Wonderful. You miss out on all you you, know, you don't have any commercials. You don't have to watch the punts and the penalties and all this shit that nobody cares about. It'd be like if, if baseball needs to come up with like the home run channel. You know what I mean? You see you see dingers all day. I yeah <laughs> I, I just there I, for years I didn't watch Red Zone and it wasn't an aversion to it. It just wasn't something that came across my bow, I guess. And my my wife and I got together and we we're we started living together. We decided let's see what this is all about. We keep hearing about it. And I remember that first Sunday, the first Sunday that it was on, we didn't leave the couch for seven hours because we were like, this is amazing. It is. All football, That's all awesome. day long. And it was like, you. and the, the best part was, is it took out the, the, the regionalism aspect of it. So I don't have to be beholden to whatever bullshit game is going to be here, which is going to be some commander's game or some Ravens game, two teams that I abhor. So I don't have to watch them or be forced to watch them. I can watch something else. I mean, there have been times here where we've had some games that have been absolutely just horrible. Like that Bills Jags game last year that was like nine to six. I do not want to watch that in its entirety. Give me the, the no. five field goals in red zone. Yeah. Give me the Cliff Notes version, man. You talked about game day. Yes. Just to kind of circle back to that. I, I, I'm not sure where they're going to be this week. It wouldn't surprise me, though. I would say the most relevant game of the week is Nebraska and Northwestern in Ireland. For no reason. But I don't know if... For yeah, for no, no reason. reason. They're just the, they're the two best names. That's it, right? Uh, I mean, the other game, you know, Wyoming and Illinois, nobody gives a shit about that game. No. Uh, Vanderbilt and Hawaii. I mean, other than going to Hawaii, nobody cares about that. You want to hear... Some, Utah State. You want to know something about yeah, University Texas, of Hawaii? UTEP. Something about University oh, of Hawaii? Would, yeah. So my wife... Uh, my wife used to live in Hawaii and her parents lived in Hawaii because my father-in-law uh, retired from the military and worked at Boeing out there. So they lived out on Oahu for 15 or 16 years, something like that. They moved here when our son was born, but I, I got to go out there a couple of times. And I remember they, they call the University of Hawaii, Hawaii Community College, because it's that <laughs> like Bush League and Aloha Stadium is an absolute dump like an absolute dump. They have a flea market outside and it is just like, they haven't done anything to it. That's why the NFL moved the Pro Bowl, which was historically in Hawaii because the players love to go out there. 
that the facilities are an absolute dump. So having to go out to Hawaii is not as glamorous as it sounds. The island is beautiful and there are many aspects of living in Hawaii that are beautiful in very small spurts. Being a landlocked, like, or excuse me, being island bound like that, I just could not do it. I, I was fine for a couple of weeks, but yeah. So going to Hawaii, like that's a huge trip for not as much reward as you think it is. No, that's a fascinating perspective. I always kind of wondered that. I think that in movies and TV, we get a very glamorous picture painted of what it's like to live in Hawaii and go through that, you know, surfer lifestyle, which I think people forget. Well, those people are probably still going to going to work every day because you got to make a living. Traffic is awful on the else. island, by the way. Awful. You know, and I've kind of liked the idea of them moving the Pro Bowl to the week before. It's like the week before the Super Bowl, right? Do you watch the Pro Bowl? Oh, uh, no, no, no. Oh, thank God. I was like, oh, this is going to be a very short relationship. It, but I, no, no, I've never, I don't think I've ever watched the Pro Bowl, but it just seems to make sense that just get it over with, I guess, is more my perspective on it. You know, squeeze it in there, get it over with, let's move on. Uh, you know, I would think, though, that probably the Northwestern Nebraska game might be the only one that's appealing to the game day crew and if they're up for taking a trip to Ireland. But I can tell you right now, I mean, Scott Frost is solid, solidly, firmly on the hot seat. Oh, yeah. And... It's such a weird relationship there. I think that he walked into something without really knowing what he was getting himself into. I think that at Central Florida, he probably had full autonomy, did whatever he wanted. And he goes there and like, well, hey, here in Nebraska, we do things a different way. And so he's probably got to conform to some weird, antiquated ideas. And I'm sure that there's some abrasive relationships that exist there. But I can tell you right now, it would not surprise me one bit if Northwestern wins that game. And it also would not surprise me one bit if Scott Frost does not finish the season in Nebraska. Yeah, it's, I actually didn't understand when Scott Frost decided to leave Central Florida. Like he was coming off what? It was like he what, was he twenty four and one in those two years, and that that is including a win over Auburn in a bowl game. And they could have been that Cincinnati that year. You and I probably felt like they they should have been included, even though they weren't one of the four best teams. Like just throw them in there, and I and. Then he leaves for Nebraska. And in my mind, because whenever a coach leaves for a job, I'm, I'm sure you do this too, you try to think to yourself, lateral or advancement? Because some of these coaches, if you're taking a coordinator job, you're getting a head coaching job, that's an advancement. But if you're going from one head coaching job to another, you have to think about the schools. And it was kind of like in college basketball when Buzz Williams went from Virginia Tech to Texas A&M. And you're like, in basketball, like, is that an advancement? And in here, I was like, is going to Nebraska some type of an advancement for Scott Frost outside of the fact that I think he went there, right? Like he was a, he was a player there. And I'm like, he could have stayed at UCF and probably had a dynasty. Yeah. And it, it ain't your daddy's Nebraska. No, no. You're going back to nobody cares about Nebraska. Um, well, and like Bo Pelini and Bo Pelini went there. Everyone thought he was going to be successful in Nebraska. Yeah. He, and everyone had, I think every reason to believe he was going to be successful in Nebraska. And he wasn't. And I just don't think it's very similar to I've heard people say this about Notre Dame and you can say this about Wisconsin, Michigan, maybe Ohio State in today's age of recruiting where you can find any game you want on television, especially through streaming, you know, that national TV essentially is, is no longer a factor because every game's on TV somewhere. So if you're recruiting a kid. Where where is the talent? Where are the talent hotbeds of high school football? They're in the South, right? Mm -hmm. Warm weather climates. So why in the hell would a kid that lives in Central Florida or wherever want to go spend four years in Lincoln, Nebraska? Why? 
unless they've never been there and they're showing them fake pictures of, of Lincoln, Nebraska. Why would you want to go there? And, it's, and the same thing. I mean, how do you get a kid to go to South Bend, Indiana, other than the fact that it's, you know, two hours from Chicago, maybe you sell them on that. And obviously the, the tradition. Yeah. But Nebraska has some pretty solid tradition too. They do, but it's um, ancient. Like at least Notre Dame has been in the playoff. What, almost half the time? So right. you can sell on that. I mean, making the playoff is is worthy of selling. What what can you sell at Nebraska in the last- Yeah, and you can't even sell, yeah, you can't even sell like the NFL. No. You know, I, and that's one thing you could say, well, maybe some of these like, you know, the Big 10, I'm sure there's a lot of linemen that come out of the Big 10 just because of the style of football that's played. I imagine there's a decent amount of linemen that come out of the Big Ten, and they're probably almost sought after. You know, you think of the stereotypical lineman, sort of that hard-nosed, tough guy. You want that guy that's played in those cold November winters in the Midwest. You know, if you to go play in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Chicago and Green Bay, it's relevant in that sense, maybe to some degree. But you know, Nebraska's been such dog shit uh, <laughs> yeah. for you know a decade or more, mm-hmm. and. I it's just so it's so weird to me. It's what's just time has passed them by. It they has. will be Indiana in ten years. And I see Florida State on the the docket for Saturday, and they're kind of another program since Jameis left and Jimbo Fisher left. They've been trash. I mean, losing to to really bad schools. Yeah, and that's a shame because great tradition. Such there. a proud program. You know, Bobby Bowden and everything he did there and to see it just kind of dry up the way it has and you fear maybe that you know Miami is not too far behind and it's crazy to think that yeah and it sounds like in Miami's case it, it may be a deal that the the power brokers at the school don't really care uh, how good or bad the football program is and so they won't do the things necessary to facilitate football success yeah maybe maybe that is the key the these days is that if you're not on top, it's never going to be a priority to get back on top for some of these schools that were once on top. I think it was easier to sell Nebraska because of the winning back then. And we talked about how the exposure of being on television and it doesn't matter anymore. Now it's about NIL money. How much can I get paid? What kind of sponsorships can I get here? And honestly, these kids are also thinking about, as you pointed out very eloquently, their life and their lifestyle. Like, why would I want to live in Lincoln, Nebraska? Unless that was the only choice that I had. I mean, and you're you're 100% right about that. So I'm-, yeah, I'm It's cold. Yeah. It's in the middle oh, of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much of this country. It's funny. This is a tangent we won't get into, but there's so much of this country that I've, has been unexplored for me. And most of it is in the middle. Is it like Iowa, Nebraska? And I'm sure there's a lot to to explore out there, but to physically live there for multiple years, I don't think I could do it. There's a reason they call it God's country is he's the only one that's ever seen it. Wow, wow I mean, that is lovely. That is perfect. <laughs> you know what? That's it. That's it. We are we're, dude, this episode is going to end. That is wonderful. A perfect, perfect. Wow, that is great. I, that, that's going to be a clip for sure. And I love it, man. I live in the Midwest. I mean, I. I been through those places many times but it's brutal man it is brutal because there is not shit not shit i mean the speed limits on the interstate through kansas and nebraska is like 85 miles an hour because they know that there's no one there (laughs) i mean and it's just a straight line there's no curves there's no hills nothing i mean you might run over a tumbleweed that's it 
Well, everybody, this first episode had a few, you know, kinks to work out. Brad and I, or me, talking over Brad a little bit. Brad throwing shade at the Midwest. And uh, so we'll never get anybody listening from Nebraska, which I guess, whatever. But um, I'm, I'm excited about college football. I'm excited to see where the season goes. I love college game day. And I'm excited to talk about it with you. Next week, we're going to talk about the first slate of games in college football. But we're also going to preview the NFL a little bit because the NFL is right behind it. And I like to take a look at the league as a whole. So everybody who's listening right now, I want you to do two things for me. I want you to support Pub Time Podcast, where Brad is coming from. That is his home. And those guys are great. So check them out wherever you find your podcast. And check out MattyIceMedia.com, which is where all of my stuff is housed. And you can find that stuff wherever you find your podcast as well. And we're going to continue to do this week to week throughout the football season. And who knows? Maybe it'll turn into something larger than that. But for right now, we're going to be very football focused because football is it may throw some things in there because you're going to have a world series in there you're going to start some other sports and maybe those are things that interest you brad we'll get to that when we get to it but thought this was a great stuff i thought this was a great start and i hope that the listeners agree so i'm happy to have you on board and uh, i'm excited for the future my friend no absolutely and I, i would love uh you know, all the listeners, man, check this out, support us, reach out, let us know the types of things you want to hear about. Let us know the things that you think we've said that are absolutely ridiculous, all about any sort of feedback and do yourself a favor this weekend. Uh, sit down for a couple hours on Saturday, watch some college football. We've been waiting for this for eight months or however long it's been. This is the best time of the year. It's like Christmas Eve. We're coming up on months and months of endless football and it's fantastic. So even though the games aren't very impressive this weekend, stop in, check out a game, watch Scott Frost uh, dig his own grave Mm -hmm. and we'll be back next week. And your call to action this week is to figure out why the fuck that game is in Ireland. But until then, everybody, I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. And for me and Coach Brad, have a good one. Peace, everybody. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.